commanded to celebrate Advent. Um, in fact, nowhere in the New Testament will you find a command to um, celebrate Christmas, celebrate Easter, celebrate anything. Uh, it says remember his death every day. In fact, the one thing that we're actually told in the New Testament to remember we're going to do today uh, here at the end of the service, we're going to participate in communion, the Lord's Supper together, um, because that is one thing Jesus did say, do this in remembrance of me. And actually in the language that he used, it literally almost means to do it every day, do it constantly as a reminder. And we'll talk more about that. But if you want to know more about Advent, uh, I'd point you back to the beginning of this series in the month of November. Uh, I shared a lot about uh, the history of Advent and how Advent works, what it means, and then the, the Christmas season that begins on December 25th and lasts 12 days, uh, ending with the Feast of Epiphany that celebrates the coming of the, the Magi to Jesus, the wise men, and what that means, and there's some significance to it. So uh, just because the Bible doesn't command us to do it doesn't mean we can't learn from it and glean from it, and so uh, I hope that that's what we've done over these last uh, several weeks as we've talked about the season of waiting, as we've talked about the season of mystery, and now today as we talk about the season of redemption, the season of redemption from Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse number 3. And so I'm going to encourage you to uh, leave your Bible open uh, to this chapter because we're going to come back to it after we read it. But I wanted to, even though it's kind of a lengthy passage, I wanted to read it all in its entirety for us to hear it all together, and then we're going to come back to it and, and break it apart. So starting in verse 3, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. So Father, again, open our hearts and minds today to understand your word, your plan, and help us, Holy Spirit, to to know what to do with that in our lives, how to change the way we think and the way we live because of your truth. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Today I hope to remind us of a lot of things that you already know. And you might say, well, Pastor Tom, isn't that kind of foolish? But 
Peter, in his letter to the churches, said, uh, I know you know all these things, but it's good for me to remind them, remind you of them. Because sometimes the simple truth that God came as a baby gets lost in all the noise. In all the decorations, in all the songs, in all the parties, in all the concerts, in all the stuff, simple truth that Jesus came and the difference that makes in our lives can get lost. And we can actually fight to keep Christ in Christmas and really never have him in it at all. And I hope that that doesn't happen for us. And so I want to look at this passage because when we celebrate this time of year, what we're celebrating is what Paul tells us in Galatians. When the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us, his very own children. See, the miracle isn't the shepherds, and the miracle isn't the angel, and the miracle isn't the wise men, and the miracle isn't the manger, and the miracle, the miracle is that God, creator, wrapped himself in human flesh and came as a baby. For the sole purpose of dying for us i mean what a nice verse he he came to buy freedom for us but you know what the price tag was his blood (coughs) because the wages of sin is death that's a, a law of god established for all time and so because we have sinned the only way to pay for that is blood death And Jesus paid that for us with his blood. I don't know about you, but when you buy gifts for people, maybe you look at the price tag and you determine whether or not that person is worth that price tag. Don't we? I mean, because, I mean, we don't have unlimited resources, right? And so if my relationship with you is only a $5 relationship, you're not going to get a $50 gift. I mean, isn't that true? And so if you give your wife a gift that's $5, you'll need counseling. And I offer that free. (laughs) But here's my preemptive counsel. Don't buy your wife a $5 gift. Unless you are dead broke and that's all you can afford. Okay? Go without a gift and buy her something better. I love the the Honeymooners. Anyone remember the Honeymooners? I love that show. If you've never seen it, I have it on DVD the whole season. You can watch it. Black and white, great show, um, hilarious. But I love the episode where Ralph, Alice gives up something to buy him a bowling bag, ball bag, bowling ball bag, and uh, he had hawked, <laughs> he pawned his bowling ball to buy her a gift because he didn't have any money. <laughs> and so when he unwrapped the gift, he's like, a bowling ball bag, bag, ball. And, he's, and she's like, go get your ball and put it in there. And, He can't because he, that's giving. But here's the point. God looked at us and said we were worth shedding his own blood for. That's the price tag attached to us. And not only to us, nice, good people dressed up in pretty attire here in church today, but every human being on this planet. And so when we mistreat any other human being because we don't see their value, We devalue what he has said. 
And that's why if we're not in right relationship with human beings, God says, you hinder me giving you more because you don't understand the value I've placed on that person. God himself came when we were utterly helpless at just the right time, and he died for us sinners. John chapter 3, as I read earlier, verse 16, but as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. See, it's easy for us to say, hey, I love you, but our love is not our words. Our love is our action towards others. And so you can't tell me you love me if you're not treating me with love. Does that make sense? So you can't tell your spouse you love them if you're dishonoring them. I mean, it has to be showed. And so God showed his love. He showed our value by sending his son to die for us. And the, the interesting part of this story is, if you go back into the Old Testament, when the people complained and they were bit by poisonous snakes, Moses was told to lift up a bronze serpent on a pole. And if they looked at it, they would no longer die from the snake bite. Now, I don't know, I don't know all, I don't understand all of it, and we don't have time to go into all of it, but that's one of the mysteries that we talked about last time. But Jesus says that here to Nicodemus, because Nicodemus knows that story. He's a good Jew. He understands the message. And what he's saying is, from beginning to end, God had this plan, and he's never deviated from his plan, and he's never had to change his plan. In fact, he's given you clues and hints all along the way, and he's now showing you on this side of it, because you didn't see it on that side of it, because who could have saw it on that side of it? Only God did but now looking back we can be like oh man that pole that serpent on a pole in the desert that's his plan he showed us all the way back there thousands of years ago what he was going to do in this instant to encourage us that God can always fix it he can always fix it always he's never like in heaven going what do I do to fix this mess that they made He's like, if you just trust me and you just admit you made a mess, I got a plan and I'll work it in your life. But if you try to fix it on your own and then come to me, you'll be forever frustrated and you'll never get it done. We can't. We can't fix it on our own. That's why he came to fix it for us. So Ephesians chapter one, Paul says, all praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ. Please don't misunderstand that word spiritual blessing and that heavenly realms to think that the blessings that God gives us are not physical, that they're only spiritual things, that they're only heavenly things because that's not what this means. And the language that Paul uses when he writes this doesn't limit the blessings of God to spiritual things and the rest of the context doesn't limit the blessings of God to spiritual things or to heavenly places but what he's saying is they originate they extend into every part of our lives into every part of the heavens into every spiritual aspect of everything God's plan see we as human beings we're natural beings we we touch things we feel things we see things we hear things and we believe that what we see hear feel touch taste is real but it's not. The greater reality is what God sees. 
And God doesn't have a supernatural world and a natural world like we do. He's got a world. He's a supernatural being. And so when God reveals something to us, if we can't fix it or put it in our natural minds and make sense of it, we have a tendency as human beings to dismiss it. Because it doesn't make sense. We can't process it. We don't know what to do with it. But some things you just have to say, God said it, I don't understand. I don't understand the snake, the serpent, the pole. I don't get it. It's a mystery. I don't know why we take communion and why that matters and why it means anything and what it does. I know what it does because of what the scripture says, but I don't understand how it works. But the question is, will I just trust what Jesus said and do it often? Or will I just say, well, you know, it really doesn't matter all that much. I don't see the significance of it. Or will we take the supernatural God at his word and just be obedient to him? So Paul says this, praise to God because he's blessed us with every blessing. Stop and think about that for just a second. Every blessing. There is nothing that you are in need of right now that he hasn't provided for us through our union with Christ. Every blessing. Every blessing. And Paul praises God for it. And then he describes this plan of God. Even before he made the world, verse 4, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. That means before God said, let there be light, he knew you in 2015, right now. And he chose you to be holy and without fault. And the only way he could do that is by sending his son to be a sacrifice for us. Because the only way you and I can stand right now without fault in the eyes of God is because of what Christ did. And so before he said, let there be light, he knew the cost. He knew it. He knew what was going, he knows the end from the beginning. God doesn't exist at this point in history. He exists everywhere. I know that's hard for our human minds to process. So he decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. See, for Jesus, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It was his pleasure. I mean, I don't know if you've ever said thank you to someone who's done something really cool for you and they're like, it was my pleasure. I doubt anyone has ever done anything near this scale for you. But as we say, thank you, Lord, for your your sacrifice, he says, it was my pleasure. It wasn't, well, I had to because you made a mistake. It was my pleasure. I don't know if I would have said, let there be light. (laughs) Knowing all of that, would you? Knowing that price tag, but he paid it. The scripture tells us often about our destiny. I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Now, what God has set us apart to do is different for all of us, but here's the thing. He's got a plan for you. Psalm 139 says, before 
You saw me before I was born and every day of my life was recorded in your book and every moment was laid out before a single day passed. See, God sees the end from the beginning. And he's got a plan for us. And he can even take our mistakes and our rejection of his way at times and he works it for his good. He knows exactly when we're gonna reject him and do things our own way. He knows exactly what mess we're gonna make and how we're gonna make it. And he's already got it all worked out. It's all in his plan. He's just waiting for us to acknowledge it, come to him, and he can operate in that plan. See, the scripture tells us that God is no longer, because of what Christ did, counting men's sins against them. Now, if that statement alone is true, then no person would end up in hell, right? Because God no longer is counting our sins against us. But John chapter three, the rest of the chapter, says we stand condemned already if we do not believe on the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. If we don't believe that what God orchestrated through sending his son, dying on a cross, and we don't apply that sacrifice to our lives, we are already condemned. So even though he's no longer counting our sins against us, And it's his pleasure not to count them against us. If we don't agree with him and say, God, I accept that gift, it's not applied. It's not applied. Aren't these beautiful? Watch. Gone. Back. Sure hope I don't get electrocuted. Gone. The most powerful force in the universe until we apply faith to it. I believe you sent your son to die on a cross. This is how most of us live. And we hold the plug right here. We don't actually plug it in by reading the word, by praying, by exercising faith, by being obedient when we don't understand it. And so the lights stay out. But we think because we said the words, that's all we had to do. You don't have to say the words. I could stand there all day and say, hey, I believe if I plug this in, all these lights are gonna light up. I'm plugging it in until I actually plug it in. I haven't plugged it in. That's faith. Faith is not just believing if I plug it in. It's plugging in knowing if I plug it in, they're gonna come on. And that's what Paul is saying. And so he he says God did all of this. And again, he pauses in verse six to praise him. So we praise God for his glorious grace that he's poured out onto us who belong to his dear son. Grace, completely undeserved, completely unearned, nothing we could do. In fact, we were in a trash heap. Great illustration today about digging in the trash. That was us. Jesus came and dug in the trash for us. He became a human. That's what that means. I know, we all thought we were nice people. No, we were trash. We were worthless, utterly helpless, every single one of us. And God said, I value you so much, I'm gonna step into that trash heap and I'm going to become you and I'm going to die for you. Price tag attached. And then he tells us in verse seven, God is so rich in kindness and grace, he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son, he forgave our sins, he showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Here's the thing, we value all wisdom and understanding more than his kindness. I mean, we're all like, oh, I just need, I need more wisdom, I need more understanding, I need more. No, what you need to understand is his kindness. Because you can have all the wisdom and all the understanding, but if you don't understand love, you don't understand God's kindness towards us, the rest of it won't matter. It'll just be like a loud gong. 
In Romans chapter two, Paul tells us about God's kindness. He says that we judge others for doing things that we ourselves do. And it says, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? It's the kindness of God that turns us from sin. It's when we recognize in my most utterly helpless, worthless state, God said, I value you, love you, and I gave my son for you. In that state, it was my pleasure, he says. And the question is, do we mimic that kindness? Because Jesus says in Luke chapter six, love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. And already in our minds, we're like, well, that's really not what it means because there's a cost attached to that. For me to love my enemies and do good to them and lend to them without expecting to be repaid, that's a price tag. And my enemies don't have that kind of, say it with me, value. But we were God's enemies. And he valued us. And the extent that we treat our enemies is the extent that we understand his kindness. Let that sink in for just a second. How you treat your worst enemy or how you treat the person in your eyes who is most worthless is the extent that you understand the kindness of God. How many of you would say we have a long way to go to understand the kindness of God? Because we don't value people that way. But yet God is so kind and patient with us still. Your reward if you do this will be very great in heaven and you'll be acting like children of the Most High for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. Who? Me. You. Yep, all of us. Unthankful and wicked and he was kind to us. This is a mystery, he tells us in verse nine. God now has revealed this mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. This mysterious plan. And then he tells us, here's the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. See, you know, everything that God has promised and said he's going to do has a current reality and a future reality. And so we are celebrating Christ's coming and what that means for us. This Advent wreath that's up here, we've already lit three candles. We've already begun to understand what his coming means for us. But look, there's two more candles still to light, meaning there's a reality for us that we've already understood, but there's a a future reality that's yet to come. The reason that we celebrate Advent the way we do is to help us understand that. Christ's coming already took care of sin and already dealt with it in our lives, but we'll someday see the full fulfillment of that. And so what we have to understand is that sometimes in my life, it's gonna look like God's not fulfilling his purpose. It's gonna look like my, di- my destiny got off track. It's gonna look like God doesn't care. God's not intervening. God does care, and the cross stands as a reminder to us every day of our lives. Why do we take, the cro- why do we take communion often? 
because it's a reminder to us of what he did. It's a reminder to us of the value. And Paul says it's a proclamation, it's a declaration. In some way, taking these elements that, by the way, are just juice and cracker. They're not spiritual, I won't play over them, I won't bless them, I won't turn them into something they're not. They're juice and a cracker. But somehow, when we exercise faith and say, God, I don't understand this mystery, but I take this communion, somehow it strengthens our spirit, our inner man, because it's like a loud declaration to our sinful nature saying, you're dealt with, you're done with. But our sinful nature tomorrow when we fail is gonna rise up and say, see, I'm not done with. So you take communion again to remind it it's done and dealt with. And one day, that's all gonna come to pass. That's what Paul says here. Because we are united with Christ in verse 11, we have received an inheritance from God. He chose us in advance. He makes everything work out according to his plan. He makes everything work out according, he makes everything. What other people have done to you, he makes it work out according to his plan. The stupid things you've done yourself, we've done ourselves, You're not just stupid alone. We're all stupid. All those things that we've done ourselves, he makes everything work out according to his plan. Everything. So when you're in that moment when your flesh is like ready to blow your top and scream and you're like, ah, yeah. Remember, he makes everything work out according to his plan. Now, hopefully that'll help your lid stay on, but sometimes it doesn't, and sometimes we still explode, and we are at his mercy once again. God's purpose was that the Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles, those of us that aren't Jewish, have also heard the truth, God's good news, that God saves you. That's the good news. The good news is God saves you and everything is going to work out according to his plan. The good news is not everything that you want in life you're going to get. The good news is not your Christmas list is going to include everything you put on it. Now we still ask. He still says, if you need something, ask me. Ask me. I'm their provider. And then trust me. Keep asking and then just keep trusting. And one day, everything, because we're united with Christ, is going to work out according to his plan. And that Advent wreath is a reminder to us. It's already done and yet not fulfilled. But one day, it will be. And so while we walk in those unknown times, we cling to what we do know. So when everything around us screams, God has forgotten me, I cling to the cross that says, no, he has not. When everything around me and within me says I'm a failure, I point to the scripture that says, no, he chose me before the foundation of the world to be united with Christ to fulfill his purpose and plan for me. And he guarantees it in verse 13. He guarantees it by giving you his Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. You see, everyone in the Old Testament would die to trade places with you and I. 
And we don't understand how good we have it. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. And for many of us, we've forgotten what it's like to not have him in us. And so even on our worst days, it's still better than those days when they went 400 years without a peep. How many of you have gone 400 years without God saying anything to you? I guess we're better off than them. Do you understand how, how incredible this gift is and how easy it is to lose sight of it? We think, oh, if we could have saw the Red Sea parted, we would, have, we would for sure never turned away. False. Three days later, they're complaining they don't have water. You have the Spirit of God living in you. And here's it. It's God's guarantee. You know what a guarantee is? It's what you put down saying you're going to finish it. If somebody's going to come to your house and they're going to do work, you have to put a deposit down. You have to do a guarantee that you're going to give them the rest of the money when they finish the work. God gives us his Holy Spirit to guarantee he's going to finish the work. It's a guarantee. So you don't just have to cling to the cross because some days I don't have the strength to cling to the cross. He's put his spirit inside of me. And on days when I can't, the spirit in me yearns and jealously longs for him. What a cool thing. Not only now, I don't have to try to work up the strength to hold on. He puts it in me to hold on when I can't. That's the guarantee. And all it takes is for us to remember that, to remind ourselves of that truth. When it looks like we can't hang on one more second, it's to remind us, no, his spirit is in me. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. But Pastor Tom, that's not what I've experienced in my life. I'm glad you brought that up. Because as believers, we never live by our experience. We never take the experience and say this is what's true. We take the word of God that has proved faithful from the foundation of the earth through now and beyond us because every promise of God has always come to pass and that's what's true. And there are times I will promise you in your life where everything around you is going to say all of that is a lie. And the question is whether or not you will listen to the truth or you will believe the lie. Because God will always finish what he started. And then he ends it in verse 14 with this point. He did all of this so we would praise and glorify him. Don't forget that. This is so important to remember. Everything we do, we have to do to praise and glorify him. Not because... Here's what, here's what happens to us as believers. We get so fixated on what we need from God, what we need from God. God, I can't really praise you and glorify you until I get this, until I get this. And here's what, getting that is sometimes attached to praising and glorifying God. Do you understand that? Sometimes we don't, we are all stopped up and God so wants to give us what we need, but we don't trust him enough to live for the praise and glory of his name in spite of our circumstances. And so we don't get joy. We don't get peace. We don't get, I mean, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts is what the Apostle Paul says. 
It doesn't say pray for the peace of Christ to rule in your heart. It says let it. Let it. Meaning we have a choice. When I wake up tomorrow, I will have a choice to either allow the peace of Christ to rule in my heart tomorrow or to allow anxiety and fear and doubt to rule in my heart tomorrow. That will be my choice. He did it all so that we can praise and glorify him. And so my question is, is this is what people are picking up on when they're around us? When people are around us at work or in the store or at home, or is this what they're picking up on? Good news, joy, peace. If so, if you say, yeah, people are saying, man, there's something about you that's so joyful. Keep it up. If not, if people haven't walked up to you in a long time and said, man, there's so much joy that flows out of you, please don't blame it on your circumstance. Please don't. Please understand that you have to go back and remember what he's done. Remember the joy of your salvation. Even pray, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Are we glorifying and praising God with our words, with our actions? with our treatment of others, with our love, with our mercy, with our grace. Remember Simeon from week one? Simeon was righteous and devout. He was in right relationship with God, right relationship with man. He was eagerly waiting for the Messiah. He was studying the word, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So he recognized the Messiah as a baby. My fear is that many Christians today are not recognizing the baby. We're celebrating Christmas. We have a nativity scene in our home. We sing carols, we go to church, we go through the motions, but we're missing the baby. The simple message that God stepped out of heaven, came to this earth, and died to save us. And he will, he will, 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 will finish his plan in us if we trust him and walk with him. He will. He will. And I hope that today you've had a chance to see that in a greater way. And I hope this week you'll see the baby in a greater light. I'm going to ask our worship team to come back. And I'm going to ask our deacons uh, if they would prepare to come as well. Uh, you can just hold tight for just a second and I'll call you in, a, in just a moment. But we are going to close today's service by participating in communion together, the Lord's Supper. Jesus, when he was celebrating the Passover with his disciples. And the Passover was a time when they remembered coming out of Egypt and the lamb's blood that was put over the doorpost so that when the Egyptians' sons or firstborn sons died, their babies didn't die. They're commemorating that, showing again God's plan from beginning to end. Jesus died at Passover, not as an accident, 
God wasn't in heaven going, oh, cool, look, it just worked out so cool that it happened this way. He is reminding us, I planned it this way from the beginning to prove to you I can do it, to prove to you that I'm always working for your good, to encourage you and strengthen you. And so then he says to his disciples as they participate in this meal that they're supposed to, he takes bread as they're supposed to and he breaks it and he gives it to them and said, this is my body broken for you. They have no clue what he's talking about. We do. We have the benefit of hindsight. Then he takes the cup, was supposed to do it, part of the Passover meal. And he says, this is my blood that's shed for you. And he does this with them. They don't understand it. Judas present, his betrayer. And he says, as often as you do this, as often as you do this, do this to remember me. Remember what I'm about to do for you so that your hearts are encouraged. Hebrews says, you haven't yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Remember, no matter how hard life gets, we're not there. That's an encouragement to us. That's not supposed to belittle our problems. Because here's the thing. The most amazing part of the death of Jesus is that at any moment, any moment, he could have said, stop. And it would have stopped. It would have been done. He even had people mock him. If you're the son of God, take yourself off the cross. He could have at any moment. Sometimes we long for that. We would love to just go, stop. I am so thankful I don't have the power to do that. I don't think I could handle that temptation. He did. And he handled it perfectly. Because for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy set before him? Every one of us in this room today being able to celebrate this moment together. That was in front of him the entire time. And he said, you know what? This price tag is worth it. So as we partake of the Lord's Supper together, this mystery that we don't understand, it's okay. If you have put your faith in Christ and you believe in him, we want you to participate in communion with us today. You don't have to belong to this church. All we ask is that you put your faith in Christ. If you've done that, you're free to partake with us today. And so our deacons are going to join me, and we are going to distribute the elements to you. Please hold them till we're all served and we'll partake together. And uh, we're going to sing together a few songs as we prepare for that.
anyone who has not yet been served the elements that would like to be served? I want to make sure that we didn't miss anyone. Okay, would you stand with me? I know it's right at the noon hour. And I just want to take a moment to remember what he's done for us. As I've described it from Ephesians chapter 1, this is what he's done. This is a reminder to us today, not only mentally of what he's done, but spiritually. This is a mystery. Ephesians chapter 1 says God's mysterious plan is being revealed to us. We understand parts of it, but we don't understand all of it. We'll grow every day and we'll understand more of it. The more we seek him, as we talked about last week, the more understanding we're going to get of how this mystery works. But I promise you this, you won't ever understand it all. But Paul promises us that one day we're going to see him face to face and everything comes clear. Right now, it's like we're looking in a mirror very dimly and we can't make it all out. But one day when we look at him face to face, we're going to understand it. And in the meantime, we remember his sacrifice and we proclaim his death. And so, Father, today, as we partake of these elements together, thank you for your plan that before the foundation of the earth, you loved us and you proved our value and your love by sending your son to this earth to buy us back. Thank you, Jesus, for laying aside your rights and privileges to taste our sin to take our punishment and to purchase us with your blood forgive us because your kindness at times is so overwhelming that we desire so badly to pay you back And today we recognize we can't. There's nothing. There's no amount of obedience that we can now do to pay you back. And so we don't want to serve you from this day forward paying you back. Help us to live so overwhelmed by your kindness and grace that we serve you from that. That it becomes our pleasure to love our enemies, to pray for those who mistreat us, to bless those who persecute us, to be kind to the unthankful and the wicked, to value what you value. To value ourselves and the high price you paid for us 
Help us to embrace the plan that you have for our lives. The masterpiece you have now created us to be in Christ Jesus. And help us to stay fully attached to him in our thoughts, in our words, and in our actions. That our lives would be lived to the praise and glory of your name. Thank you for what this sacrifice means for us. We declare today that our sinful nature is dealt with. You have bruised the serpent's head with your blood. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake of the elements together. I've presented that to you the best that I know how. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit will take those words and just resonate them in your heart throughout this week, strengthen you and encourage you to live out His plan for you every day. God bless you as you go. If you want to spend some time in prayer, these altars are always open to you. If you want to be prayed for, we are here to pray for you if you have not had a chance to be prayed for today. God bless you as you go.